Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everybody. This is uh, Michael Adams again. I couldn't even say my name right this time. Anyways, uh, I'm with, once again, my brother, uh, Derek Hallett, and my sister, uh, Sarah Hauser. I'm sowing the Trumpet Ministries on the other side of the continent. And uh, we're going to do a study here, it looks like, on uh, the straight gate and the narrow way. And I'm looking forward to that. And I've had a pretty decent day for for myself. Uh, been in the Word quite a bit in prayer. And, and uh, it's nice to take a break from exposing the enemy. And I guess we'll start on prayer. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, Almighty God, the true and living God, the only God, say law, the only God, the true and living God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They gave us your only begotten, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who did come in the flesh and paid for our sins and rose from the dead. To the right-hand side of you, God. Almighty God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will bless this teaching from our brother, Derek, that your Holy Spirit will be with him. And will guide him and this message will go out to all that are ready to hear it and almighty god i ask you that you will bind and rebuke all evil and foul spirits that may interfere with this and that you would loosen your your spirits your of uh spirit of judgment destruction and burning against these evil spirits that it may be around brother derek and Brother Sarah, and around me and around anybody else who may hear this, bind them, God, and rebuke them, those evil spirits, and loosen your mighty angels to pass judgment on them. Get rid of them. And then they, they might be hindering uh, uh, the service, uh, uh, the missions that you may have for our brother Derek and Brother Sarah. So, hey, God, thank you for everything. What a great God you are. What a mighty God you are. Thank you for your loving kindness and mercy. And uh, just thank you for everything you've given us. Thank you for eternal salvation and hope in Lord Jesus. And I just want to say, God, thank you for this blessed opportunity to be with a, a brother and sister who truly believe in you. It's so refreshing in the world that I live in. I say this in the name of our Lord, Savior Jesus Christ. Say la and amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, I also want to come to you tonight and thank you, Lord, for another day not promised to us. I ask also, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities. In our shortcomings and our transgressions, Lord, and those things that place a veil between you and I and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time also with my brother Michael Adams, Lord. I pray over his health, Lord. I pray over his show. I pray over his devotion to you, Lord. 
that you may guide him in that path, Lord, that you want him to, that he may serve you as a righteous man. And I pray, Lord, that those who come in contact with these messages, Lord, let them be saved. Let them be born again. Let them believe in the one true God. For the Bible says, Lord, if you be lifted up, that you will draw all men unto you. Well, I pray for a fresh anointing. I pray for fresh life. I pray for fresh meat. I pray for those, Lord, who are willing, Lord, to go forward in you, that though their hands may be wearied, that they won't let go of their swords, that they will remember that you had endured more and suffered more, that the affliction is a part of the process, that to walk in the ways of righteousness, Lord, and through the fire is a part of the process. So I just pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that no man's heart be heard tonight. I pray that no flesh be glorified, Lord, but I just pray that you speak, that you be heard. For I have a message tonight, Lord, that I have no idea why you've given to me and you want me to present. But I believe you, God, that you will speak, that you will present what needs to be, that your people may hear, Lord, in our time of grace. I pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention and confusion, all spirits of jealousy, malice, and hatred, and fear, doubt, and unbelief, all spirits of suicide and everything, Lord, depression that comes against your people. I pray in Jesus' name that you take them off the scene. I pray that you cast them down, and I pray that your people stand over them. I pray, Lord, that we become overcomers to do your righteous works, that we may be champions in Christ, that we may be conquerors in Christ, and that we may not bow our knee to the beast. So I just pray, Lord, and I ask for all these things, Lord, that they be done. For you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and true, and worthy of all praises. I pray and I ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <coughs> Thank you, brother. You know, I was thinking about what you were saying about what, you know, when your prayer and about what our Lord Savior did for us there on the cross pain for all the sins of mankind and what it must have been like that whole spectacle especially in the spiritual realm and you have a bunch of heathens and a bunch of love uh have the, the the flesh enemies around them but just imagine in the spiritual realm you had the devil and his his high councils and his principalities and all the demonic realm all waiting for him to die thinking that they finally beat, beat him Man, just you can imagine when you feel about from the, you know the the when you're pressed on or in your, the pressure that you receive from the spiritual realm that he had all that plus all our sins on top of it, it starts yeah. to make it more of a, if you start to understand a little more and more what he and start to relate really more and more what he's done for us because a lot of people even myself you know at the times say oh you know he. Uh, it's he didn't it's not like he suffered that long he suffered long but not that long you know there's some of us have been suffering for years right but you put it really in perspective clearly it's like well no i haven't no even you know i i've been sick most of my life and none of that has come close to what he experienced those few moments and the moments in that day or leading up to or hours leading up to him being on the cross because 
what we fail to understand is the spiritual side of all this and how all that was going against him as well. And yet our God who came in the flesh, which he didn't have to do, and made himself what lower this was it a little lower than angels was that what i'm saying correctly uh, Absolutely. Uh, yeah he didn't have to do any of that no so what does that mean that means he allowed little what does that mean a little lower than angels think about that and if anybody's ever experienced spiritual warfare really start to think about that because that really makes things a lot more like wow, our God, the Creator God, who created all things. Uh, he did what he did. Whoa. So, anyways, I'll shut up and let you go, man. Looking forward to this. Let's hear about the street uh, here. Um, absolutely. Um, one of the things that you mentioned just now is something I have a teaching that that's coming up. But, it, but what you were referring to as far as Jesus being given over and the devil thinking he had his way with him or tried to hurt him and do the things that he wanted to do was because, you know, Jesus referred to that as the hour and power of darkness, that darkness mm -hmm. will have its time, that Jesus would have been given over into their hands. But you see, it's just like when the, when the Lord allows the devil, well, he gives us over into the devil's hands it is only that god may be glorified so in many oh, yeah. ways the devil has a lot of hatred and he's our adversary and he wants to put us through so much but you know um i don't want to say this in the wrong way but thank god that he has given us the strength to be able to deal with this guy and thank god he hasn't quite yet taken him fully out of the midst because as you can see what persecution the devil means for evil, God always means it for good. It's one of the few times that God's people actually think of growing up and calling out to him that God's might righteous will may be done, that he may get the praise and the honor and the glory that he totally deserves. So, you know, I'm at this place in my life where no matter what, no matter what I have to go through, no matter how much disappointment, you know, that I'm beginning to hear lately and dealing with people and situations and things, you know, the Lord is only doing that, that we may become single of heart. So I'm thankful for it, you know, and lately what the devil's been doing hasn't really been distracting me because it's something where I'm recognizing this is all a part of the process. Now, does that mean that I don't fight back spiritually? No. But this means that, you know, this is the life of a Christian. I also have a teaching coming up called a Christian, well, well, Christians are birthed on the battlefield because they truly are. You are born into a war that began thousands of years or, or even in the beginning of time or, or before time, you know, when there was no you and I. So it's one of those things where we've got to mature to the point of if God gave us a glimpse of reality, that this is what we would come to the conclusion of, that our God who saved us from an evil and perverse and wicked, you know, entity, you know, has decided to uh, recruit us in his army that we may live a life in victory and not in sin and torment and defeat 
then, hey, we're born on the battlefield, and it's just that simple. And I think that unless Christians come to that conclusion and that understanding, they'll never wage an effective war against the devil because most Christians or most people don't even, they're not even aware of this war. They're not even aware of what God is doing or what he calls for us to do. So I think for me, I'm just, you know, realizing and I'm accepting that Christians are birthed on the battlefield. Some people live, some people die. Some people are here with you today, gone tomorrow. That's just all a part of a soldier, which the Lord calls us to be and how he commands us to endure hardness. Okay, so tonight's not going to just be about, it's not going to be about hardness and the hour and the power of darkness. But I think that what we're going to talk about concerning the straight gate in a narrow way is that we begin to recognize not just that the gate is straight, how straight is the gate? When we talk about the narrow way, how narrow is the narrow way? And that's what we're going to discuss tonight because, you know, the Lord is even showing me the iniquity, iniquity within myself where I'm not saying I cut corners around the gospel, but I think that there are things that I have once considered important that really, it's really not of Christ. It's really not the gospel. You know, there's a lot of things that have nothing to do with him. And I think what he's just beginning to show me is there is no substitute for me. There is no substitute for the living God or what he calls for us to do. As the apostles went and as they have done, we must do. Because all they were doing was being like Christ. When the Bible says that the spirit of Christ, the spirit of Jesus, is um, is the spirit of prophecy, or the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, then we've got to recognize, too, that what was in those prophets was the spirit of Jesus Christ. And that's why no matter where they were, no matter what they did, they were unyielding, uncompromising, unrebukable, unblameable, because they had the spirit of Christ to fulfill what Jesus Christ said to do. And they didn't care about where they were. They didn't care about what they had to go through. They didn't care about those who had forsaken them that knew them in the past. All they knew was Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, some people would say, well, the prophets didn't talk of Jesus. Of course they did. Of course they talked about him coming and what his sacrifice would be and all that would be done. But all of these things were that Jesus Christ might be glorified. Every time Jeremiah spoke, Jesus spoke. Every time Isaiah spoke the gospel, uh, Jesus spoke. I don't care where you go or what character in the Bible you bring up. They were all moved by the Spirit of God if they were unto God and serving God. So what we've got to be is no exception, no difference, because I know a lot of people would love to hear me knock down the gospel. I deal with that all the time. People that know you will only go but so far with you, but they won't want to hear the straight-cut gospel, which is what? Loving the Lord thy God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. He says on those two commandments to hang all the law and the prophets. And lastly, preach the word, okay, of God. For him that believes, he will be baptized. For him that believeth not will be damned. Forsaking the world, carrying your cross, all these commandments that Jesus gave us, to stay connected to the vine. I'm not knocking this down one inch. We need to hear what we need to hear that we might be fit for the kingdom of God. 
And that's what it really boils down to. So how straight is the gate? How narrow is the way? Because I think when people think narrow, this is, this is funny, too, that you hear. They think, okay, can't be a Mormon, can't be a Jehovah Witness, can't be a Catholic. And they're absolutely right. But you can keep on going as can't be a religious thinking Christian in church. You can't be celebrating holidays of, of false pagan deities in the church. Okay? You can't claim to serve Christ and want to obey Christ, but everything about your life doesn't even reflect it. Now, I'm not talking about being born again and trying to live that way, but we must understand that when we are Christians, okay, we dictate to the world. The world doesn't dictate to us, okay? When you're unsaved, the world dictates to you. What you see on the news, what you see at, job, at your job in everyday life, those things are what a lot of people cling to. A lot of people believe it's truth, but as a Christian, God gives you a new heart, a new set of eyes, affections towards the things that he wants and against the things that he is against. And we've got to understand, if it's not for God, it is against God. If it's not with Jesus Christ, it is anti-Christ. And we must see it this way, because one thing that we do know is that the devil, alongside Jesus, runs the devil. Now, I'm not saying that he's Jesus' friend and they're working together. What I'm saying is that along, alongside of the spirit of truth, there was always the spirit of error. Right next to the tree of life, there was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Along with Cain was Abel. Okay? So this is always, even when Jesus went and preached the gospel, there was Judas Iscariot in the midst. And Jesus made clear that these individuals are tares. They're tares. They're going to be here. They're going to be around. But we must not walk in their ways and do the things that they do. But one thing we must know is, that unless we're talking Christ, unless we're doing what the Lord calls us to do, then we are not on the side of Jesus unless we are. And that's how narrow the gate goes. Stop making excuses for your family members that are unsaved. Stop making excuses for people who claim Jesus, but they want to be Roman Catholics. Stop making excuses for, you know, the Jehovah Witnesses have a lot of things right if only they would understand who Jesus is. There's more issues that they have than that. This way is narrow. And Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the kingdom of God is headed north. Okay? It's going north. You can't go south. You can't go west. You can't go east. You can't go northeast. You have to walk the straight way to be with Jesus. Not just walking the life, but accepting the doctrine as it is that it is sound. There are no errors in the word of God, okay? There is no uh, thing where people talk about God's word wasn't preserved. Yes, it was. So no matter what you think that you don't feel in this life or that you don't agree with concerning the word of God, well, you better get yourself together and understand that God is right. And he's not going to change one jot, one tittle, one word from the law. He says what he means, and he means what he says. And we ought to learn to walk in this. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 27 said, hey, I have to buffet my body and bring it into subjection unless I myself could become a castaway. So we better understand that we, he that endures unto the end, is the only one that will be saved. 
There is no such thing as once saved, always saved. There is no such thing as a pre-tribulation rapture. We better learn how to walk with God and do what God tells us to do. Because if not, we're going to have plenty of problems. Okay, so let's go forward. I want to get right into this. Let's hey, Brother Isaiah Derek. 45. Yeah. Oh, hey, listen, before well, we get going with the reading, this is an opportunity for me. I need to uh, mute so that nobody interrupts. I forgot to do that. So okay. hold on a second. I'm going to take okay. a second. Okay. Hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. It's all done. So hopefully no problems as far as anybody jumping in and interfering. My apologies, brother. No, no problem. But I tell you what, they can jump in if they want. Because I think the Lord has got something special tonight. So, you know, <laughs> this is the thing is that, <laughs> you know, sometimes the Lord's got to move your heart, you know, and, and get you in that place of, being prepared to speak of him and defend the gospel because when you consider all the goodness of Jesus Christ, you know, we've got to really look at this devil and say, man, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? We've got to rest in God. We've got to trust him. We've got to know that Jesus Christ is Lord and outside of him, there is no other way. All right, so let's get started. I want to go to Isaiah 45. And let's look at verse 1. This is Isaiah 45 and 1, and it says, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him. And I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. Now, you know Cyrus was a Gentile that God decided to use. You know, the Lord found favor with Cyrus because, you know, at this point, Belteshazzar um, blew it in uh, Daniel chapter 5 when God had spared Nebuchadnezzar and, you know, tried to change. Well, he changed Nebuchadnezzar's life where he ended up writing Daniel chapter 4 and began to follow the ways of the Lord after God had to bring him low for seven years. So, you know, his grandson, Belteshazzar, decided to take back the old idols and put them out and do all these things. Like, he just figured, well, my grandfather had his time in serving the one true God, but I'm going to bring it back to the ways of Babylon. And before you knew it, there was a hand that came through the wall that wrote, Mene, Mene, Tikel, you farsin. And that just meant that you were weighed, you were measured, and found lacking. And God came the very next day to make it clear that the Persians were actually, um, that their kingdom were given over to the Persians. So this is how Cyrus was favored and Darius, you know. They never really served the one true God, but God used people like Cyrus to fulfill the will of God that Israel could worship their God and prosper and build a temple. Okay, so that's what we're talking about here. This is verse 2. I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. So this is kind of like an early prophecy of Jesus Christ or God using Cyrus here because he says he will make the crooked places straight. No one can do this but God. 
And then it says he will break the pieces of the gates of brass. Now, what's another word for brass or symbolic for? Brass is symbolic for the flesh. So notice that he will break in pieces the gates of flesh. And then he says, and cut in sunder the bars of iron. What is iron? Iron is symbolic for bondage or, you know, or strict or, you know, what do they call that? Like, oh, hard bondage, you may as well say. Okay, so he says he's going to cut and sunder the bars of iron, meaning he's going to liberate his people. This is how we all felt at one point before the spirit of the Lord moved upon us. Look at verse 3. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, I am God of Israel. So let's look at verse 3. And he says, and I will give thee the treasures of darkness. Does that mean that God is involved in evil? Absolutely not. This was the mystery of the hidden things that God had always planned for his people. Okay, so when it says treasures of darkness, it means those mystery things, those things that man waited for that he could not see. And it says in hidden riches, like the Holy Ghost, and of places, of secret places, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. So what is the secret place? What is the hidden place? That's your spirit and that's your heart. In those places is where God knew in order for my people to be made right, in order for them to serve me and do the things that I command them to do, you know, eventually they would need a heart change. That's why if you look at Jeremiah 31 and 31, he said that he would no longer write the law on tables of stone, but he would write those tablets or write that law in their hearts. So you see, if, if God reaches us and we allow him to uh, work with us in those secret places, your very heart becomes the throne of God where he sits and he abides in and he dictates through. This is what I'm praying more for now that I have a heart like the Lord. I want my heart to be the throne of God. Why? Because only then, if I have put him in his rightful place as king and Lord and Christ, okay, over all, then I will act the very way that my heart worships. Okay, so we must understand these things. Verse 4, for Jacob my servant's sake and Israel mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee that thou hast not known me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I form the light and create the darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, some people may say here, so God is responsible for creating evil. Yes and no, okay? God, when he made everything, and that includes Lucifer and the angels that went with him, they were good. But what God did give was a free will to be with him and not with him, okay? So don't look at this and say, oh, you see, God is in line with evil. He's not in line with evil. What God does is, he gives even those things that may rebel against him a free will to choose him or to choose their own way, which is evil. So let's make that clear, okay? 
So let's look at verse 8, and it says, Drop down, ye heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open, and let them bring forth salvation. And let righteousness sprung up uh, together. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Let the pot shards strive with the pot shards of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioned it, What makest thou, or thy work, has, uh, he hath no hands? Woe unto him that saith unto his father, What begettest thou, or to the woman, What hast thou brought forth? Uh, thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and his Maker, which is Jesus Christ, Ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. Command ye me. I have made the earth and created man upon it. I even, I even my hands have stretched out the heavens, and all their host have I commanded. So what we must understand here about the living God is, is that he's making clear that you're not going to argue with your maker. For us to argue with God and not be in tune with God and to decide to do things contrary to the way that God had set them up, that's equivalent to you getting ready to boil some hot dogs in a pan and pour some water only to have the pan say, I'm sick of you eating hot dogs. Okay, why don't you just get out the water? Why don't you use another pot? I mean, as, as ludicrous as that sounds, that's how it is for a man to disobey God and not want to be used of God. If we are vessels and he is the maker, then we should allow ourselves to be available that he can fill these vessels with anything he wants, you know, he wants. And whatever he cares to do to the vessel, you know, we should have no say in. We should want what God wants. So you see, if he made us, then he understands us. He even knows us to the place of the numbers of hairs that we have upon our heads, some of us more than others. But the point is, is that he knows that every little thing about you. So if we don't give ourselves to God, we really are missing out on a great treasure. But in the beginning of this passage, he says, I came to make the crooked ways straight. And that is what God does. That's why he came. That's why he formed uh, something from absolutely nothing. That's why he took the dust from the ground and gave it value and called him man, you know, and, the, and Adam himself being the son of God. Only God can do such things, but we've got to understand that unless we truly are given over as vessels fit for the master to use, then we're not walking the straight gate. And that includes me, that includes anybody that we have uh, good feelings towards as teachers, as ministers, or whomever. If we don't walk the straight and narrow way and gate, then we are truly off track. All right? So I want to look at this other thing here, and it says, and look at verse 13, I have raised him up righteousness, and I will direct all his ways. So he's going to direct Cyrus. He shall build my city, and he shall let, and he shall let go my captives, not for price nor reward, saith the Lord of hosts. So as you can see, God has got a Gentile here doing what God calls him to do, and God is going to use, you know, and the reason why God used um, Gentiles back then 
Yeah, he gave them power because he, he told his people that if they wouldn't hearken unto his voice, that they would serve their enemies. But God was also trying to let us know, hey, Israel, don't think that you're so special because I can use anybody to fulfill my will. Be fortunate that I have chosen you as my people that my will may be done. So we've got to stop looking at God's way as, you know, hard bondage and, oh, it's just so rough that every day I have to blah, blah, blah. We should ever be grateful that he has allowed something, you know, as defiled as you and I to truly be a part of his kingdom and his lineage and his inheritance that we may serve him effectively. We should ever be grateful that he found us to do what he does. All right, so let's look at verse 14. He says, Thus saith the Lord, the labor of Egypt and merchandise of Ethiopia and of the Sabaeans, men of stature shall come over unto thee, and they shall be thine. Uh, they shall come after thee in chains. They shall come over, and they shall fall down unto thee. They shall make supplication unto thee, saying, Surely God is in thee, and there is none else. There is no God. Okay, so as you can see, you know, God would bring Cyrus to lift up Israel, that, that, you know, people would surely look upon and see how Cyrus is running things and know that the living God had his hand in this. Verse 15, Verily thou art God that hideth myself, thyself, O God of Israel, the Savior, that is Christ. Uh, they shall be ashamed and also confounded, all of them, they shall go to confusion together that are makers of idols. But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded world without end. So as you understand, he made clear here that those who were makers of idols would be confused. Another word for confusion is perversion. So when we decide to love things more than God, when we decide to listen to doctrine that is not of God, when we take it upon ourselves to have ideas to do things contrary to what God wants, they become idols to us, and, they, and we can become perverse. Let's look at verse 18. He says, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it. He created it, not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. So notice that many times, especially in Isaiah in the Old Testament, God had his way of just letting them know, do you know of any God besides me? I am the Lord, no, thy God, and I know not of another. So this is a way where, God was always telling his people to walk the straight and narrow, to follow him unto the end. Why? Because he is the only one then, and he's the only one today, that is God and that holds the keys. Okay? And if we want to go to the kingdom of heaven, if we want to be found righteous before God, if we want to be conformed into the image of Christ, then we must go through Christ and not another. Now, I know, you know, a lot of people... We think of lots of things. You know, we look at ways around this. We look for easier ways to serve the Lord. I don't know what the Lord is telling everyone to do, but it would seem really odd to me that God would tell all those who walk with him one thing and then tell us something completely different 
and expect those things to be the same. He says, I am the Lord thy God, and I change not. So if he's the same God that was in the Old Testament, he's the same God today of the new. His word stands sure, and there is none beside him. Okay, so let's look at verse, uh, I believe there is uh, 19. And I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. So as you can see, God can do no wrong. God can speak no wrong. And he says, I have not told you things in secret. You know, a lot of people today have given themselves over to new doctrine that wasn't even around in that time, how a lot of people are even reading books, these so-called lost books of the Bible, the Gospel of Thomas and all these other books. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, they'll, you know, the Gospel of Thomas is really interesting because they'll say that Jesus was a young kid and he was bad to his teachers, and, you know, he was arrogant, he treated them a certain way, but one day he saw Joseph drop something, and he came over to fix it, and then he realized from that moment that he had it, and he enjoyed doing good things and not evil things, you know, and some people don't think that that's an evil story, but it is, because, you see, that was what you would call in first, uh, in Romans chapter 1, you know, trying to change the uncorruptible God made like to an image of corruptible man, okay? This is what man's problem is. He can't believe that God is that holy and that righteous, so they try and knock down the image of God. They try and knock down his gospel and all these things to accommodate us when God is calling for every single one of us to come up higher. And to me, that's a compliment because that only means that God is telling you that you can do these things. All right, so he says, I'm not going to stay on this part too long, but he made very clear, um, let's see, uh, I think I'm in verse 20, and it says, Assemble yourselves and come draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations, they have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye and bring them near, yea, let them take counsel together, who hath declared this from the ancient time, who hath told it from that time. Have not I the Lord, and there is no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. So it's important that we understand as as I'm going through this. I mean, I can think of so many New Testament scriptures that you can just add to this to show that this is Christ. So let me finish in verse 22 to 25. He says, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say in the Lord, have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that are increased against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. 
so in the Lord and today in Jesus Christ because there is no other Savior. You cannot pray to Mary, okay, and believe that you are a child of Christ. You cannot call Jesus just the Son of God, but then you want to call him Michael the Archangel. You cannot be a Muslim and say that God has no sons because that's a part of the broad gate and not the straight gate. So let's go to um, Matthew chapter 7, and we'll begin at verse 1. If anyone wants to add anything, they can. Right. Matthew chapter 7, let's look at verse 1. And he says, Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Now, as we know, this is probably the most famous, okay, scripture that sinners remember and try and attack Christians with, but you know, they always read verses one to one through two, okay, but they never look at, you know, one through four or one through five. So we gotta understand what Jesus Christ is talking about, and it's unfortunate. A lot of Christians have yielded to this because they heard it as scripture, but they only read part way through. Okay? So this just sounds like, man, don't judge because if you judge someone, then you're going to be judged. And that's not what this is saying at all. So let's look at verse 3. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thy own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold the beam that is in thine own eye? So this is what you see. So basically he's speaking of hypocritical judgment. He's saying, how can you, is it possible that we can judge a situation righteously if we're committing the same sins as our brother. How can I tell you, Michael or Sarah, take that little speck out of your eye and I've got a tree in mine? Okay, that's a hypocrite because that's someone that likes to conquer outer space by judging others, but he has not yet conquered inner space, which is his own weakness, that he won't be found blameless. I mean, blamed. You know, so that's why it's important. And Paul says, he that is spiritual judgeth all things, but he that is, um, but he himself is judged of no man. Okay, so what we've got to understand is a spiritual man has conquered inner space. So he can outwardly speak about things that are sin because he doesn't share the same faith as they. So he can see with a clear perspective, and he's not looking at it from a hypocritical one. Okay? So it says in verse 5, Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thy own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. So he never said to take the mote out. He said to take the beam out of thy brother's eye. I mean, you know, um, he said, well, once you take it out of your eye, you can take it out of your brother's eye. Why? So you can judge a situation righteously. And that's, that's one of the key things concerning this whole thing with the straight gate. Because there are so many people out there that are in false religions and in false churches trying to tell people the ways of Jesus Christ, and they have never even, you know, scratched the surface on who Christ is.
How can a Jehovah Witness tell anybody about Jesus Christ when they, they call him Michael the Archangel? Okay, how could they say anything about anyone when you've got elders sitting there lying to you, okay, telling you, let me explain the Bible to you as I know it, but they will not allow you to study and read yourself. I was told by a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, that when she was in the Jehovah Witness organization, she said that if you would read the Bible on your own, which is a corrupt version, by the way, their Bible even, you know, doesn't want to call Jesus God. Okay, but that, that's neither here nor there because you find that also in the, one pen, the oneness Pentecostal movement where the Bible never says these things. And you got entire doctrines built around this. But back to my friend, she told me that if you did discover some things that they didn't corrupt in their, you know, false New World translation and you brought it to them and it was crystal clear to you and it was against what the elders taught, they would tell you, okay, well, you know, that's not exactly right. This needs to be straightened out, and this is what it means. And she says, if they have to tell you again, you're going to be sat down and get a real talking to. And when she says talking to, I mean like yelling at you or, you know, if you keep this up, we're going to have to remove you. Now, you got to ask yourself, <laughs> you know, who are they? How are they qualified? to preach the gospel and tell people about Jesus when they're brainwashed, when they're being indoctrinated. How can you as a Catholic believe that the vicar of Christ, okay, which, which Catholicism totally makes you an idolater because you're sitting here believing in the Pope and the Cardinals, which the Bible never mentions and they never existed, bishops and archbishops and, you know, the Eucharist and eating the body of Christ with that wafer and all this other garbage. How can you even preach the gospel to somebody? And, I mean, it's clear that you're an idolater. How can you sit up in a false Christian church and worship Christmas, okay, and Easter, which are two of the enemies that have always been the enemies of Jesus Christ, and pushing up Mary? You guys have got to be kidding. But this is what he's talking about. You must have the beam removed out of your eye. How can we just sit there and live in sin? How can we make excuses for our sin and then try and tell someone else in the dark what they should be doing? We have got to be kidding. But this is what he's talking about, hypocritical judgment, because, you know, no one hates hypocrites like the world, but they love to quote Matthew 7 and totally misunderstanding what this thing is about. This is a straight gate and a narrow way. And if you won't let someone who knows God, you know, tell you the truth in the Bible and what you need to know, man, hey, hell is only forever. And that's something you got to recognize. You want to be judged in righteous judgment to move the right way in Christ, to be told what is right from wrong, because if God has to come and see you or deal with you, it may be too late. So, you know, stop speaking against judgment and all that. This is a narrow way. And if this is a narrow way and I know not Christ, I would love for somebody to point me in that direction that they may know Christ, that I may make it in. Verse 6, he says, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Ask, and it shall be given. 
Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son ask bread, ye will give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will you give him a serpent? So notice Jesus is saying here, because I'm not sure if anybody, um, if you guys had heard the teaching, I know Sarah did, about cessationism, that these guys just openly speak about that the gifts of the Holy Ghost have ceased. They believe that God can heal, but it'll be God who does it and not through a vessel. That's about as blasphemous as you can get. But he's saying, if you seek, ask, and knock, these things will be given unto you. Their problem is they don't believe. And it's unfortunate that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because he says, for him that comes to God must first believe that he is God, that God may grant them what they ask for. But you've got to believe that he is the giver of all things. Okay, so this is a big part of the straight gate. Because you see, a lot of people have probably given up seeking the baptism in the Spirit, seeking the Holy Ghost, seeking to draw closer through God to God through prayer and fasting. You can't give up on this, man. You've got to seek, ask, and knock until God fulfills the things that you need in your life. Why? Because this is a straight gate. And what God has told us that we can have, what Jesus Christ has told us that we need, there is no exception for. So if you don't have it, you need to start seeking who can actually give it. And stop making excuses for false doctrine and false religion because the gate is straight. So he says in verse uh, 9, What man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? So we've got to understand that this thing requires faith. We've got to believe in God. We've got to seek God until God grants us with what we want. And there's no point and and there's no uh, issue with waiting. Perhaps God may answer some people's prayers faster than others. Does that mean that God is showing favoritism? Absolutely not. What God wants us all to do is to strive. Why? So he knows you're serious. Okay, because I've learned that things that come easily tarnish quickly. Okay, and and if we're serious about it, God will breathe on you. God will give you and fulfill the desires of your heart. But more importantly, we first have to have a heart after him. God cannot be wrong, no matter what we think, okay? So it says in verse um, 12, Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So what is he telling them about? He's speaking to them about forsaking the world and giving themselves over to Christ. He's talking about loving your neighbor and loving your God, all right? Treating people as you would want to be treated, caring for the affairs of your brethren outside of the things that you want for yourself. This is what Jesus is talking about. Look at verse 13. 
Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. So let's stop right here, and let's think about this. He just said to enter in at the straight gate. He says, why do we enter in at the straight gate? Because wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. You know, the Lord was actually showing me the other day that if you notice, there's every city and every town in America that has an avenue or a street called Broadway. It makes you really wonder because usually when you get out on Broadway, you find more sin there than on any other street. <laughs> more distraction, more worldly things, more entertainment. You know, so it just makes you wonder if that's one of the devil's things that he does to mock us you know, about the broad way and the straight gate. But, you know, there are a lot of people that are going in through the, through the false way, through the broad way, making excuses for themselves. But Jesus said this way is straight. No compromising at all. Brother, you want to add something? Oh, I just wanted to say what a great insight. I never thought of that, but you're right. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. yeah. Broad way. Broad is the yeah. way. Broad way. It, that's right. <laughs> And they call they it the great white way. <laughs> you know. Oh, man, it's crazy stuff. All right, I'll let you go, man. Oh, it's just interesting. No, no problem. It's just interesting things to look at, you know. But the Lord is telling us here that this is an uncompromising way. This is a very straight gate, okay? Um, so uh, he says, uh, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Every time you hear the word many, it's always used in a negative form. So we must begin to have understandings that God's way is a straight way. Okay, look at verse 14. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. As we talked about before, if we are believers in Christ, this should strike fear into your heart, okay? Because I know that a lot of religions try and compromise this. You know, there's a billion Muslims in the world. There's two billion Catholics, okay? There is uh, probably hundreds of millions of Hindus and Buddhists, but the point is, is, you know, Jehovah Witnesses, I believe there's 8 million. Mormons, what, about maybe 14 million or somewhere around there? you know, or maybe even a hundred million, depending on where you are. But you got all these uh, groups, the World Mission Society, Church of God, and, you know, they call themselves that they are, you know, the elite, you know, God's chosen people. And, you know, the Jehovah Witnesses are really funny because when I brought one of them uh, the information, I used to argue with these guys all the time. And I would say the Bible says that the gate is straight and narrow is the way because he began to brag to me about how many numbers they have. So then when I said to him about the broad doctrine, you know, in the way being narrow, he said to me, well, there is 8 million of us, but think about 8 million compared to the rest of the world. And I was like, man, did they really teach you that? This was an elder speaking. And he said, well, you know, it only makes sense. And I'm thinking, okay, so let's look at that ratio. If there's only eight people that got on Noah's Ark and the whole world perished, okay, I mean, are you trying to tell me 
that that percentage would be about the same. And I was like, do you think as an organization all of you are getting in for believing what you're believing? When God deals with individuals, and he said, well, if they were Christians, you know, he said, if you guys were in Christendom, you know, you would think the same way. And I said, no, that's not true. I said, I understand that there are false Christian churches. I understand that everybody that sits up in the church is not a Christian. I'm well aware of that fact, that when you look to your right and your left, you may not be sitting with your brother in the Lord. Jesus said he put the wheat with the tares, and they're trying to say as an organization, well, he didn't put the wheat with the tares, but he said they would grow together. So they believe as an organization they are going to be saved. But you see, this is how far we can fall from the straight gate. So he says, few there be that find the way. So in order to find the way, you've got to look for the way. You've got to seek the way of God. There are a lot of people that are that began to walk through this straight gate and this narrow way and began to look to the right or the left of them and saw something far more enticing, far more suitable that they don't have to carry their cross on. And that's the direction that, unfortunately, many people go. Okay, this is a narrow way. And, and you know another thing about a narrow way? You can only walk, in many cases, if it's narrow enough, one step in front of the other. So that means that you can fall at any time if you don't keep your balance and stay where you are. A narrow way does not sound like a secure way. It sounds like a way where a person has to walk, looking ahead, being cautious of every step making sure that they don't go, you know, too fast or too slow. But that's a balancing act, and that's how it is when you walk with the kingdom of God. You've got to yield to God's voice. You've got to yield to the conscience, you know, that the Holy Ghost gives you. You've got to listen to his words and the things that he commands you when it's time to pray, when it's time to read, when it's time to part company, when it's time to do his will. And even, believe it or not, when it's time to get some sleep. Because what God will intend for you to do is to be healthy and fit for the next day. God may know that there is iniquity or, or thoughts of the enemy that might even come your way and try and turn you. And what God wants you to do is go to bed, get some rest, so you can keep the enemy from trying to tempt you. All of these things are important. When people want to go out and hang out with you, you know, the Lord may be telling you, no, not tonight. As a matter of fact, I don't even want you hanging out with this person anymore. So when we've got a narrow way and a straight gate, that means there's only one way in, and we've got to watch our steps. And that's why it says the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. We have to walk as we are commanded to walk. We have to believe what God tells us to believe, because that is the only way that we're getting in. So then he says in verse uh, 15, now notice right after he mentions the straight gate and the narrow way, look at what 15 says, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. So we've got to understand this. He said, beware of false prophets. So what would you find about the false prophets so far and all the things that he's talked about? False prophets are hypocrites, okay? False prophets believe in the broad gate, and unfortunately they live broad lifestyles with broad doctrine, just like the Catholics, just like the Mormons, just like the Jehovah Witness, just like the false Christian church, just like the Hindus and Buddhists and Muslims. 
all of them. It's all the same. They all believe in this broad doctrine, but Jesus even preaches separation, even to the point that you may have to part with family to walk with Christ. This salvation of ours that is given by Jesus Christ is an individual affair that cannot be faked because this is a narrow way. So it's not even, you know, um, wide enough that you can skip down the road holding two people's hands. By the time you get to that gate, the two people next to you will have to decide whether they're going in and accepting salvation of the one true God and Savior Christ, or, or they intend to go out. But you cannot force people's hands in. He said, man, beware of these false prophets that are telling you all this garbage, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. He calls those who would want to push you through the broad gate and make you feel warm and fuzzy, those are ravening wolves, okay? Real Christians and real believers will push you towards knowing the one true God in Jesus Christ. And no matter what you have to hear, no matter what you have to endure, you've got to believe Jesus Christ. Man, I don't care. We conform to his word, not the other way around, because he's not going to change a thing. Brother, you want to add something or Sarah or somebody? I no, I do. I do. I just, I just yeah. want to apologize to all my listeners and to, uh, to Lord and to thank you, Lord, and the message here from Derek. And, you know, I've been wrestling with this video that I posted a while back from John MacArthur. And I'm after, you know, thinking about and listening to good teaching about Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Well, that's what we're dealing with, with a lot of these guys, folks, gals that we say they're brothers and sisters in Christ. And the problem is, in the end of the day, it's not true. I mean, I'm dealing with, you know, they could have 90% right, but they don't take it all the way. Then it's not all about Jesus. It's all about them and their their buildings and their their churches and their little kingdoms and thiefdoms that they're making. And it's not Christ and Christ alone. And so I just let everybody know I just deleted that video. There wasn't a lot of views anyways on it, but I'm like, I've been listening to you and other guys and everyone saying this thing about John MacArthur over and over again about some of the things that he said, in particular about the spiritual gifts, about sensationism. sensationism. And I'm like, okay, you guys are right. I kind of let go of this. I, it's like you don't want to believe this. You want to believe that this guy is ignorant but you did you come to a point you're just like they can't be ignorant he's got everything the world is in his hands literally i mean he's like the opposite of what elijah is he's the exact opposite of all the old prophets of the old testament and even of our lord and savior god god himself you know he, he had one piece of clothing that he walked around with apparently i don't know if he had more than that there wasn't too much as they said about it but he did live a very humble life. That's not John MacArthur to begin with. That's not a lot of these guys. Now, I'm mentioning that, his name. Derek's not. If he wants to mention it, that's his prerogative. But I'm saying it as as a brother in Christ, along with Derek, and saying that, you know, I'm wrong about John MacArthur. It's, it's, you know what's frustrating, Derek, is how many people in this road, this straight and narrow path, that you literally have to leave behind. You can't take them with you. And it's like I always call it roadkill is what I've been calling it because it literally is that if you pursue the way, the truth, and the life, 
there's going to be a lot of roadkill on the way because you're just like that straight and narrow path. You're not paying attention to what's might be running across the street or what's on this side or the other side. And it's like, bam, you know, all these friends I've had in this journey of my walk with the Lord that they're no longer with me in this walk with the Lord because of religion, in particular, religious spirit and the Leviathan spirit and the spirit of pride and all that. And, you know, uh, and I'm not saying I don't have issues with pride and all that, but I can say by the mercy and grace of God, and not because of anything great about me, that's for sure, that there's one thing I've been yearning for is God. And it's pathetic of an example as I may be. Uh, I still, that's what my yearning is, is to to know my God. I, I, I don't want to, I've learned of, of, of quite a while ago that the group is going to take you in the wrong direction. And that's what we're dealing with. Most people actually are ensnared in religion and still haven't had been convicted by the Holy Spirit that there actually can be a, the possibility of a personal relationship with your true living God. So anyways, I just wanted to say that, that, you know, because it does tie into what you're saying and it ties in with what I've been learning tonight. We're probably we're all on the kind of the same path, you know, the same uh, spiritual. I don't know how you say that the spirit's been touching me and you are the same, but it's it's amazing how many times. I mean, you're on the other side of the country, and you and I are like thinking about the same thing, but you're the way that God's given you and the way that God's given me. And it's all, you know, I'm like, yeah, you know, who do you want to follow? You want to follow a guy like Elijah or John MacArthur? Most people are going to follow a guy like John MacArthur. Um, I'd rather follow a guy like Elijah. And if you do that, <laughs> you're going to have Ahab and Jezebel and everybody else after your butt. But you know what? You got God there to protect you. So <clears throat> anyways, I'll let go of that. So I'll shut up now. But thanks. No, that's absolutely right. And, you know, like we said, it's that many that people flock to. John MacArthur's problem is this. He had forsaken the Holy Ghost, which is our only way back. Then he tries to write, make messages that, oh, the Holy Ghost is the most betrayed, the most betrayed person of all and thank god for the holy ghost you see this is where a lot of people are deceived and honestly i don't want to you know step out and say a little bit more concerning him because that's not the subject tonight but when you lose sight of the holy ghost and jesus even warned them when they told him that he cast out devils by beelzebub jesus said hey you better be real careful okay with um, you can say what you need to say or, or want to say about me and be forgiven. But if you blaspheme the Holy Ghost, you can never be forgiven. So to say that the gifts of the Spirit are going away and there's no scriptural basis for this at all is, is 100% blasphemous. So he went from talking about cessationism, cessationism being in, you know, that, that that's the real doctrine, he says, and now he's telling people you can accept the mark of the beast and still be saved. Okay, so I don't think that, well, no, it is evil in your heart to not take God's word as a whole. But one of his other issues is, is that he's abandoned the Holy Ghost who had never been born again, all right, looking to solve his own problems and theorize about the spirit when Jesus here said he would give it to anyone who's asked. But you first got to believe it. Now this guy's way off course, saying that you can accept the mark of the beast and be saved. 
what kind of garbage is this? But you see, when you go with broad doctrine, you've got no other choice but to go the broad way. The two go hand in hand, and there is no stepping outside of that. Most people don't believe in miracles today, okay? So because the whole world is natural-minded. So you know that's the broad gate and the narrow, I mean, the broad gate and the path of destruction. You know, most people don't believe in all that God can do. All right, so he says, um, you shall know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? So, you know, that includes John MacArthur or me or anybody else out there. You will know them by their fruit. He didn't say what kind of doctrine they preach or what they say. Man, look at them. They're going to slip up. They're going to eventually say something that's not of me. They're going to eventually show their true horns because, you see, Jesus said there's nothing from without a man that can defile a man except that which is inside. Why these people don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit? Why they believe in serving multiple gods? Why they believe that there is a pope, even though there's no scriptural basis for it, or queen in heaven, only used in a negative form in this Bible, Okay, why people fall for these things is because their hearts are after other things and not God. Because if you love God, you love his word. If you love Christ, you'll yield to what he says and believe it. And if you don't have it in you, then ask that God may strengthen your walk that you might believe. But you see, when you fight it, you are known by your fruit. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's all I need to know what is good and what is evil. Verse 17, even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. So you see what he's beginning to bear? Evil fruit. This is a man that will speak against, you know, homosexuality. This man will speak against lots of things, okay? But the, the bottom line is he has forsaken his only way to salvation, his only way back to Jesus Christ and to the Father. If you've got the Holy Ghost, there's no way in the world that you speak against the works of the Holy Ghost. Know them by their fruit. Verse 19, every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So you see, they're going to be, this ain't going to be some unbelievers thing. They may be unbelievers compared to the doctrine, but these are going to be individuals that swear up and down that they know Jesus. Oh, I know him. I serve him every, every Sunday in church as an usher, and my grandfather was in this church for 47 years, and he built this ministry. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to call Jesus Lord and will not be welcome in because those words came from their minds and their fables that they believed about Jesus, but not the one true Jesus. So he says um, in verse uh, 22, there's that word again, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. There they go with that many. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I've got a teaching coming up I'm probably going to do next week if we do a show. Or, you know, I might even save it for our ministry. But it's going to be called Sin, 
iniquity and transgression. Because what people don't understand is sin simply means to miss the mark. Um, you know, transgression means willful sin, like rebellion to that which you know is right in God's eyes. And then there is iniquity, the very thing that makes us tick within, the very nature that we have, you know, kind of halfway hearted with God, but kind of wishing it was the other way, even though you just, you know, go along with what God says, that's iniquity, okay, because you should want to serve God, and this is why the Bible tells us to serve him with a pure heart. We cannot be double-binded. We cannot be in that place of, you know, Lord, I, I like what you do, but I kind of wish it was different. Any going against the will of God, any negative um, uh, feelings in your heart that give you negative words and thoughts, any anything within that goes against God is iniquity. And, you know, that is probably one of the hardest things to spot in the Christian's life. We don't obey God because of iniquity. It's the very thing that you refuse to deal with. It's the very thing that you have not let go of simply because it's what your heart tugs on, you know, and, and that's what it is. Why some people are hypocrites, why some people serve Satan more than they serve God is because they have more of a love for the things that Satan wants than they do for God. And it's just time that we be up front with it so God can deal with us and work things, these things out. But he made very clear for him that receives a mark or the name of the beast, you got his title, or the number of his name, do you share his nature? Okay, because it's not just going to be a mark. The very iniquity will then, will allow you to accept the mark by nature. And it's unfortunate that these things are not being talked about in church. This separation, people are trying to incorporate the world with the word of God or with Jesus. And as we know, the two don't go together. So even though I may hold a regular job in the day, I'm asking the Lord to unplug me because I realize that the things that I'm holding on to in this physical carnal life will eventually keep me from walking through the narrow way. They're going to get in the way. You know, the devil will only allow you to go so far with the things that are his, thinking you're serving Christ before he pulls on those strings and yanks you back as a puppet to do his will. These are the things that iniquity does that keep us from fully believing God at his word. So I want to go forward, and it says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. So notice they didn't just hear the words, they also are intending to do them. And then he says, uh, built his house upon a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon the rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not. You see the difference with iniquity, those who have it and those who don't? Iniquity will, you can hear the word, but you won't do. Okay, but when you don't have iniquity and you're serving God with a full heart, you're hearing the word and you will do. Why? Because God has taken your heart and made it his throne. That's something that we've got to understand. You can accept Jesus Christ as Savior, but he eventually wants you to get to the place in growth and maturity in terms of perfection. 
is having Jesus Christ as Lord. That's why Jesus used to tell his disciples, or he says in a verse or two in this um, in the Gospels, he said, why do you call me Lord and not do what I ask? So as you can see, God cares more about obedience than he ever cared about, you know, you telling him you love him. Because you see, what we do determines who we are. We don't sin because it's what we do. We're sinners because it's who we are. When we obey God, when we follow God, when we do what God wants us to do, we do it by nature because the Holy Ghost is leading us and changing us and transforming us into the image of God. And you know how many religions there are out there, how many so-called Christian churches are not teaching this? They're telling you if you put a tithe in the bucket, if you just say hallelujah and amen and you attend church on every Sunday, you know that, that you know, you're in good standing with God. When you have doubts about your salvation, they tell you to tell the devil to stop bothering you. But yet from the pulpit, they're teaching you trash, all a part of the narrow gate and the, and the, and the broad gate. People have got to understand if you want to make it into the kingdom, you've got to hear Jesus. More importantly, Jesus has to be in you. We've got to birth this baby Jesus. We've got to, you know, feed him. We've got to spend time with him. We've got to nurture him. We've got to praise him to the place where he becomes Christ in you, the hope of glory. Aside from that, there is no salvation. Jesus Christ has to live in you and work through you, and there are no religious works that can bring that to pass. That's the narrow gate. That's what Jesus is looking for in these individuals, but he sees iniquity because they've given over to the rains and the winds and, the, and built their houses on sand, you know, and not on the foundation, which is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So he says, everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the, and the uh, floods came and the winds blew and beat upon their house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So you see, Jesus Christ is the only sure foundation that we can rest on. This is a detour from the teaching, but I think it's more relevant than anything else right now. So... I will obey the Spirit. And let's go to Matthew 17. Anyone want hey, to Derek. anything they can? Yes, Sarah. I wanted to say something real quick on this um, because I think in the beginning of the, the study tonight, you mentioned something about, you know, Judas Iscariot betraying Jesus. Um, and along with that is every, you know, most people know and they really don't, I don't think a lot of people, especially religious people, pay attention to this aspect. And, you know, people say, well, we know Judas betrayed Jesus and he walked with him like the disciples did for the past, you know, for those three and a half years. And, you know, he had his hand in the money bag and he was just more concerned about money. Well, isn't that what you know, the thing is, why don't people pay attention to that? Because that's what a lot of churches are doing today. All they're concerned about is money. They're not concerned about you know the spiritual gifts. They're not concerned about people actually getting saved and walking with Jesus and having a relationship with them with Him. And so it's like, why don't 
you know, people really pay attention to the fact of who are we actually mirroring in the scriptures? Is it the disciples? Of course, we want to get to that place where we mirror Jesus Christ, but it's like, are we like the other ten disciples? Or are we like that one Judas? Because a lot of people take their relationship, like you're saying tonight, and they say, well, I live after Jesus Christ, but okay, is it according to the scriptures? Because we can't just go off and do what we want to do once we, you know, think that we're saved. It's a life-changing experience. So that's the thing is that if we don't live a life after Jesus Christ, like the Holy Spirit is bringing forth tonight, we're like, we're we're living like Judas Iscariot because in the end, if we don't know Jesus Christ like the disciples did and, and the prophets and the people that made sure that this level came forward, we will deny Jesus just like Judas Iscariot did. And people don't really wrap Absolutely. their minds around that, that that's what he did. And he didn't even truly repent for the sake of Jesus Christ because if he had of, he wouldn't have gone out and hung himself. It was for him not for Jesus Christ. So that was just something real quick I wanted to bring up. Absolutely. And that's a great point because, you know, like we talked about the wheat among the tares, but this is a narrow gate. So there are no tares that are getting in this. You know, all that God is going to ask us when we see him is, what did you do for me? You know, and he's going to count everything we've done and everything will be written down. And that's why they talked about he brings out some books, you know, which are um, the books of our life, but then he's going to go right into who's in the book of life because that's what's going to matter in the end is if we or we not serving the Lord, is he or is he not Christ? So look at Matthew 17. Let's look at verse 1. That's a great point, by the way. And it says, and after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elijah uh, talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here, if thou wilt let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Uh, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, uh, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So as you can see, God the Father was not interested in anybody else that's going to be spoken of. Peter didn't understand Peter tried to broaden the way and the gate, and God the Father had to come out and narrow it down back to where he intended for it to be from the beginning, okay? And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had uh, lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Jesus only. There is no Mary with Jesus. There's no Muhammad with Jesus. Okay? There's no 
anything else you want to talk about with Jesus, it is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Okay, so people better understand that and get what this whole thing is about. Why? So that we may know that aside from Jesus, we have absolutely nothing. This doctrine has to be narrowed down. Our lifestyle has to be narrowed down to accommodate Christ, okay, because he is all that there is. So God the Father had to close that gate. Yes, Moses and Elijah were good men, but look at my son. He didn't even talk about Moses and Elijah. He said, this is who I am well pleased. Why? Moses had his faults. Elijah had his faults. But one thing we understand is there was no fault in Jesus. There was no sin. There was just total submission unto the Father, just like the maker and his vessel. And that's what we have to be if we want to follow Christ. God's way is right. All right, so let's move on. I want to go to, um, let's go to Luke chapter 3. And then I'm going to hit a couple of scriptures. Uh, let's look at Luke 3. Let's look at verse 1. It says, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, Caesar Pontius Pilate being governed of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of Ituria, I guess that is, Ituria, uh, and then it says, and uh, of the region of Tetranus, Tetranitis, and uh, Lysanias, and uh, Tetrarch of Abilene, I guess that's it, of Abilene. Then it says, Annas and Caiaphas, being the high priest, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness, and he came into all the country of Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So this is the time of John the Baptist. We're going to talk about briefly why he came. I know we did a full teaching on him, but there's no time like the present to make this point. This is another vessel being used of the Lord. Verse 4, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord to make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God, which we understand today is Jesus. So as you can look at this, God likes straight paths. God doesn't like crooked paths. God doesn't like shortcuts. God doesn't like, you know, many different ways. He made clear in Matthew 17 and in Luke 3 that we are to yield to God and do what God says, and there is no other way outside of Jesus Christ. So I just wanted to bring that point forward. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and let's look at verse 1. We're almost done. But, you know, that's why Jesus had so many amazing titles as we covered last week. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but through Christ. He is the door, okay? And if any man enter in, he's got to come in the right way through Christ, okay? I mean, you can go into the good shepherd. You can mention he's the light of the world. He's the true vine. No matter what you want to bring up, it the buck begins and stops 
at the desk of Jesus Christ. Unless you know Jesus, you don't know his Father. And there is no way around that. If you love Jesus, then the Father will love you. Right. Um, so this is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and let's look at verse 1. And it says here, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and through Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, uh, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. So look at what he says in verse 2 again. This is unto the church which is at Corinth to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. What are saints? Those who are separated unto God, okay? Now, this is what we're talking about, separate from sin. Uh, with all that in every place, call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. So if we consider ourselves believers in Jesus Christ, then this is for you. Look at verse 3. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by, um, by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You've already heard we're only nine verses in, and you've heard Jesus Christ mentioned in just about every single verse. So Paul, this is where the Spirit tries to tell us something. So he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So you see, there should be no dissimulation with Christians. There should be no divisions with true Christians. True Christians believe the doctrine of Jesus Christ, okay, and we totally believe everything that the Word of God says. So even if we might do a thing in ignorance, our brother should have no problem coming and telling us, hey, brother, this is wrong, and let me show you where it's wrong with the Word of God. And that brother, no matter what he's hanging on to, no matter how long he's hung on to it, you know, should believe in God, should trust in the Lord, and should say, you know what, you're absolutely right. After all, we are called by Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, you don't deal with that because many people today don't believe that Christians can have a demon. Well, I'm here to tell you that they can, okay? This is why the process of sanctification takes place where we have to learn to yield these things. It's not you that likes drinking and, and fornicating and doing all these things and you claim to be a Christian. That's a demon, especially if it's repetitive. If it's something where you might have slipped up and had a weak moment and you pray to the Lord and he calls you unto godly repentance, then awesome. But if it's repulsive, if it's something that you can't drop, 
you know, then it's probably demonic, which is why we need to be sanctified and give it all to Christ that we can be changed. So as you can see here, doctrine should not be changed. It should remain the same. We should all mind the same things. Verse 11, for it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there be contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I have baptized in mine own name. So what Paul is understanding with this church, there's contentions because these people have fallen to personalities like John MacArthur, you know, like Charles Stanley, like Todd White, like so many that are out there, and they're not looking unto Jesus. You see, someone should be able to come along and say anything negative about me. And I mean, you know, you guys may say you disagree or something, but you should not flinch in the least unless they say something about Jesus. I'm just a vessel. Yeah, you can back up what's said by Scripture, but don't anyone ever defend me, okay? You defend the gospel for the gospel's sake because I'm no more than a vessel, okay? I'm not looking for a devoted following. I'm not looking for people to worship and yield to me. My job is to direct people back to Christ. Why? Because Jesus is the straight gate and the narrow way. And it's unfortunate that few find him because when he calls, they won't come. They put other things in their way, okay, by worshiping men and personalities and not looking unto Jesus. So he made very clear to them, you guys are looking at Paul and Peter and, you know, Apollos, you know, and, you know, and some of you believe in Christ. That's no church of God, okay? All churches should be yielded and fallen upon what Jesus Christ calls for them to do, okay? Our job as people in ministry, you, Brother Mike, me, myself, my sister Sarah, and others out there, that we should be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And that's who you rest your hope in. That's who you waste your energy on, okay, is professing Christ and defending Christ. I'm nobody. And that's what these Catholics need to understand. That's what these Jehovah Witnesses need to understand, that they call themselves the Church of God when they are not the Church of God. The only one that we should be looking unto defending is Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So let's move on. Let's go to Philippians 1 and let's look at verse 21. I'm almost done, guys. Philippians 1 and 21, and it says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I want not. For I am in a strait betwixt, um, betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you, and having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you 
all for your furtherance and joy of faith. You ever heard that saying, guys, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good? Paul understands this, that although he's ready to be with Christ, it's great that he's not right now and that he is walking in the flesh. Why? So that he may spend his days and nights turning people unto Christ. That's how important salvation was to these guys. Although Jesus could have taken them all right now, they knew that they had a course to run, and they had to be yielded to the Spirit that they may walk that narrow way that Christ may be pleased. We have to live lives that are pleasing to Jesus and not to ourselves. So he says in verse, um, I believe I'm in 26, and he says that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Christ, in Jesus Christ, from me by my coming and to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else uh, be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit and one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So what should our minds be on the gospel? Why? Because the gospel speaks of Jesus Christ and salvation. So we should be of one mind and faith, striving together for the purpose of the gospel. And in nothing, and in nothing terrified uh, by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given on the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now you see why the gate is narrow, because how many people want to suffer for the will of Jesus Christ? You know why? You're still alive and you're still trying. But what Christ wants you to do is to carry your cross and die out to self that you might be denied that Jesus Christ can live. Look at verse 30, and it says, Having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be in me. So this is all about following and walking in the way of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, let's look at verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. So what is this whole thing tonight about the straight gate? Only room enough for one, okay? And then we ought to be all the same for Christ. No, not cut like cookies, not teaching with the same things, but we better have the right doctrine. We better be led of the right spirit, and we better be following the one true God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, verse um, 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. So we should be looking on the affairs of our brothers more than we care about self. As you can see with fallen man, that's a difficult thing to do. Why? He's got to die so that Christ can live. Verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. 
Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So as you can understand, Jesus came lower than we, as you talked about, brother, tonight, and this is something that we ought to understand, that Jesus never lived one day of his life for himself. When he was alone, it was preparing to preach the gospel, okay? He was getting prayed up, getting filled with the Spirit every day so that he can go out and fulfill the will of God. Jesus' life was totally given over to mining the apostles. You guys ever ask yourself how many questions Jesus had to answer on a daily basis and how he never got frustrated with them, but he spoke to them very plain that they may have understanding? How many of us are out there giving our lives over as a servant for the brethren? And you expect somebody to worry about what you're going through and what you have? Your problem is you love yourself too much, but you but he never commanded us to love ourselves. He commanded us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. As we take care of our bodies, as we take care of, you know, we like to wash, we like to eat, we like to stay clothed. Well, this is the way that we ought to treat our neighbor. That is simply what he means, is loving them even enough to preach the gospel. But how many of us are putting ourselves out there? You see, everybody would sign up for Christ if you didn't have to do anything and all you had to do was command people. But you see, when you lead in the ministry, you become a servant, which means even at night you may not feel like doing things. You are, you are led by the Spirit unto what God calls you to do. And you see, this is why a lot of people won't make it through the narrow way is because they got too many things they're dealing with aside from Christ. We better start trusting in him and everything that he calls us to do, you know, because aside from that, nothing else matters. Verse 8, in being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what we got to understand is, once again, this is all about Jesus, that we should, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess. But we got to understand that Jesus was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And this is one of the unfortunate problems with Christians today or those who don't want to walk through the narrow gate. You're not denied enough in the flesh to walk with Christ. There are things that dictate to us every day that try and keep us alive, try and keep us having our will fulfilled and not God's. A real Christian's life, man, is to die out to self and be totally given over to, Lord, what will you have me to do this day? And as Christians, we tend to fall in line with routine. Hey, I'm speaking to myself. But unless the Lord directs me in a different path, I'm just going to keep on doing what he tells me to do. You know, and one thing about God is it's best to team up with him because his will will be fulfilled, whether it's through you or without you. 
So look at this. He says in verse uh, 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, how many of us are actually yielding ourselves unto the pleasure of God? How many of us are even asking the Lord what we should be doing? You know, how many of us will see a good-looking woman that claims to be a Christian, and we just run off and automatically want her, and not even thinking, Lord, do you even want me to speak to this person? Do you even want me on a date with this person? Lord, is this the one? You see, we like to pick our own things instead of yielding to God and letting him pick things for us. This is, I mean, there are so many people that will go to hell and not make it through the straight gate because they married the wrong person. Now, some people could say there's no scriptural basis for that. Sure, there is. The Bible tells you that which you join yourself to, you become one with. If you love anything more than God, if you don't understand the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God, you can marry the wrong person that can turn your heart from the Lord. If it happened to Solomon, it can happen to you. We need to yield to God and hear his voice in every situation, because whom you join yourself to can make your salvation that much more difficult. Even your kids will be an issue for you concerning those things. And that's why we got to stay prayerful and we got to stay thanking the Lord and asking the Lord for guidance and how to raise our children, you know, the right people to have in our lives that we want to marry and be with. All of these things have to do with the broad gate. Because as you know, unbelievers in most cases marry for money, they marry for what they can get out of a person. You know, but how many of them actually marry because it's what God called them to do? You know, we, we got it all messed up. We even look for the most beautiful thing. And, you know, I used to preach you can't help what you're attracted to. You know what I'm realizing? God's eyes never looked on the outside. Always that which was within. And it's so funny when God leads you to those people, you end up maybe not finding them that attractive at first but then they become very attractive because God is letting you see the real them, which is inside. Man, we've got, we can't even trust our own eyes in this or our ears. We've got to trust in the living God and working out our salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't seem like play around, mess around time. That seems like, let me find the purpose of why I'm here that I may serve Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and that is the last scripture for tonight. In your spare time, read Ephesians 4, where the Bible talks about being of one mind, one faith, one baptism, one Lord. It speaks of putting off the old man that the new man may live, which is Christ in you. Okay, so read Ephesians 4 in your spare time. But remember Paul in Acts 9, read that in your spare time. When the Lord found him and intended to use him, he sent Paul down a street called Straight. Okay? <laughs> Psalm 27, the Lord says, I can't remember which verse exactly, I think it's verse 12 or 11, but he says, make my path plain. 
all right? He wants the Lord to lead him in a plain path, okay, or over our enemies. That's another reason for walking the straight game because the path that God gives you will lead you away from temptation and not towards it, okay? So these are all things we need to pray for. Never, you know, um, always look for new things to pray for. Look for things that you know you want God to do and, and ask the Lord. Even ask him what you should pray for. This is all a part of the narrow gate, you know, because we've got to have our heart totally given over. I don't want to be redundant, so I'll say what needs to be said with this last uh, chapter, and I'll close, but I just want people to have an understanding. There are many purposes why people don't make it in the straight gate. And, you know, what people ought to understand is unless we do, Walk through it. I mean, you've got no hope. Jesus has got to be the most important thing in your life. He's got to be more important than anything. All right, so this is Second Corinthians chapter 13. We'll look at verse 1, and it says, This is the third time I am coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time. And being absent now, I write to them which um, heretofore have sinned and to all others that if I come again, I will not spare. So as you can see, Paul's trying to get these guys in line. You know, um, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians were really, um, well, 2 Corinthians ends in the uh, 12th chapter, okay? Um, 2 Corinthians 13 is really should be 3rd Corinthians 1, okay, because this is the third letter that Paul brought to them. But for whatever reasons they included it, I don't know, but this is actually the third and only letter where Paul lays out to the church at Corinth, hey, guys, you're straying way off the path, and this is the third warning. He says he's not going to spare this time. He's going to rip in, okay? Verse 3, since ye seek a proof of Christ, speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. So as you can see, it's like John the Baptist said, even to fit through this gate, your big head can't even make it through. Okay? Your big will and desire and our surfeiting and all the things that we crave can't go in. You must do like John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that Christ can increase. Paul says in uh, Philippians 3, all that stuff that I knew that I thought was so much, I count that as dung that I may win Christ. Okay, so Paul says, all that knowledge I knew before, man, get rid of that. This is all about Jesus. So I just wanted to bring that point forward. See, if you want to live and walk in the power of God, you must decrease so that Christ can increase. Anything that is not of the Spirit, get rid of it in your life so that you can feed the baby Jesus that he might grow in you. And to full stature, the full measure of Christ, all right, verse 5, what does he tell us? Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not to your, 
Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. So he wants them to understand, hey, man, there's Christ in you. You can't fool around with this salvation. You can't be grieving the Holy Spirit or forsaking or, um, you know, uh, what's the word? Grieving the Spirit and uh, there's another word I want to use that Paul mentioned. You can't frustrate the grace of God. You got to start seeking God for what he wants, okay? So he says, except you be reprobate. So we've got to be aware that Christ is in us that we may walk in the ways of righteousness because a reprobate is someone that is unqualified, disqualified, that is for no good use other than to be thrown away. That means that you have lost your salvation, that you were good for nothing. And that's important that we understand this because God wants people to be saved. So look at what it says for reprobate. This is G96, not standing the test not approved, properly used of metals or coins, that which does not prove itself such as it ought, unfit for, unproved, spurious, reprobate, a castaway, rejected. So we don't want to get to that place with God, so we've got to remember that Christ is in us, and we've got to yield to the conscience of God. If you don't have the power to stop what you're doing, then you need to pray about it. You need to fast about it. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you that is in the world. It all begins from within. And if we form Christ in us, man, we are more than conquerors. Verse 6, but I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Now I pray to God that ye do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak, and we are strong, and this also we wish even your perfection. So you see, Paul's trying to get these, place, these people to the place of perfection. What does that mean? Maturity, lacking nothing, faith in God, believing in Christ, Verse 10, therefore I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification and not to destruction. So why am I saying what I'm saying tonight? Am I trying to give people no hope? Absolutely not. What I'm telling you is there's a straight gate and a narrow way, and there is only one keeper at the door that you need to know for your edification that you may not miss out on a great salvation. So he says, um, verse uh, 11, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. You see how he never let that go. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Greet one another with an holy kiss. All the saints salute you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. So, you know, um, I'm feeling led by the Spirit right now to say that if you don't know Jesus Christ, it's really simple to give your life to the Lord. You need to repent of your sins. You know, you need to ask the Lord to guide you in this time 
and that Jesus Christ may be your Savior. So, you know, for those who are listening in, for those who, you know, may hear this message, you know, I want you to raise your right hand and repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I know now, being convicted by your word, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to watch over me, that I may know him, that I may be given grace to receive him, that it won't be too late if I turn my life unto you. I believe your word, and I forsake my ways, and I repent of my sins that you might be with me. Through your shed blood and your sacrifice on the cross 2,000 years ago, I believe it and I proclaim it, and I accept the gift of salvation. The Lord, thank you. Lead me and guide me in the way of everlasting through Jesus Christ, my Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for all you do, for all you continue to do. Thank you, God. Amen. Brother, I give it back to you. All right. Thank you. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, Almighty God, the true and living God, the God of life that built us and made us from this, the dust of the earth, Almighty God, who gave us your only begotten, King of King and Lord and Lords, our Savior, our High Priest, to the right-hand side of your God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for eternal life and salvation through abiding faith in the Lord Jesus. And God, I ask you that you would uh, bless us all and help us as we develop our, our, our walk, as you develop our walk with you. That you help us to stay in this straight and narrow path and follow you. Dear Lord, dear Lord, help us to follow you. Give us your grace and strength to do that. Pour your Holy Spirit into us, God. Bless us, sanctify us, change us into the, the liking that you want us to be. Almighty God, help us to have a, a eternal perspective of life and to realize that there is so much more to life than to this world and what we get here in the flesh. And God, I just ask you that uh, you bless my brother, Derek, and my sister, Sarah, and their ministry which is your ministry, to serve you, to teach the truth about you, to, to stand boldly in your spirit, to always tell the truth about you, God. And um, God, I, I just want to say all the many, I just want to say thank you for all the many blessings you have given me uh, and given me purpose in all life. And help this uh, sinner stay in that straight and back for Lord. There, and there's no other hope outside of you, for me and for anyone else. Literally, fearfully, and everything otherly that you can think of. I mean, and truly, the, the word from the beginning to the end, from Genesis to um, Revelation, talks about you, our Lord. Looking in Ezekiel and reading about the branch and all in capital letters, you're the branch. Everything. 
Thank you, God. All praise and glory go to you. Selah. Amen and amen. Heavenly Father, I also want to pray tonight that the message was well received by you, that it glorified you, that no flesh was glorified, Lord, that no man's heart was heard. I pray, Lord, for the anointing over this message. I pray for my brother's show. I pray that all those that listen in, Lord, that they may accept what is being said. Lord, I get no joy of telling people about their sin. I get no joy of having to make false religion an example that people may come in and know the truth. But, Lord, I also will not apologize because I know that what you said you meant. And I just pray, Lord, that people can look beyond their religions, that they can look beyond what it is that they've always believed and that they can see openly, Lord, that there is no way but the straight way. There is no way but to play the Bible by his word and that they might even see the deception that may be in their own words that they call Bibles, that they may truly seek your true text and what your word really commands. I pray even for the mercy, Lord, of the false prophet, that he may come to you in a pure heart, that he may change, because hell is for all eternity. So I pray that you loose the minds of people that are caught in false religion, stuck in the world, believing that they don't have to be conformed to the image of Christ to make it. I pray that you bind all those spirits, Lord, that are leading people to hell by the thousands every single day. I pray, Lord, that you remove the sin from your people, for these are times that try men's souls. I pray for a washing, Lord. I pray for a new and living way. I pray, Lord, that you build a latter house, Lord, like you said, over the former house, that we may be used as vessels to glorify you. I pray, Lord, and I ask that those people that are out there that are sick, that are not well, that we might decrease, Lord, that we can be sanctified, that we can increase in you, that you might have your perfect will done. Lord, we pray and we yield our vessels to you, that you lead the way. Take over my brother Mike's ministry, Lord. Take over our ministry. And if you're not leading it, Lord, we want nothing to do with it. I pray, Lord, that your throne become our very hearts, that it would just feel so wrong to go against anything that you said to do or to listen to. We pray and we ask, Lord, that all these things be fulfilled for your glory once again, Lord, in your honor. In Jesus' name, we love you, Lord. Amen and amen. Amen. Sister Sarah, would you like to pray? Sure. Okay. Heavenly Father, I come to you this evening as well in Jesus' name. Oh, God, thank you for just everything that you've done for us. Thank you, Jesus, for not treating us as our sins deserve. Thank you for being a faithful father, Lord Jesus Christ, and just showing us grace, mercy abundantly, and just for your patience, for your long-suffering, Lord Jesus, and just to know that we are all like dumb sheep have gone astray. And you're wanting us to bring, you're wanting to bring us into your kingdom, Lord Jesus Christ, and 
the process of doing so, you want us also to be those light bearers to go out and to bring others into the kingdom of heaven. But Lord, in order for us to do that, we have got to have sound doctrine. We cannot preach this gospel the way we want to. We have to preach it exactly like it is written, Lord Jesus Christ, because that is what you command us to do. And we cannot contradict. We cannot go against this gospel. We cannot dumb it down. We, we can't Lord, we can't change it one centimeter. Because when we do that, Lord God, then we become the spirit of Antichrist. And Lord Jesus, to show people true love is to show them you. Because you are the only one, Lord God, that is true love. You are the only one, Christ, that will never let us down, that will never break a promise with us. You are the only one that is stable and just and true. That foundation, that rock, Lord, that mountain, that is just that is there, Lord God. You're wanting every one of us that know you, that know the truth in you, Lord Jesus Christ, to tell people of that because the church at large has gone astray. They've gotten so appended to this love doctrine, Lord Jesus Christ. It's not true in one sense. The people have become emotional. There's too much emotionalism when it comes to the true gospel, Lord God. And that's why people are having problems coming to know you, Lord Jesus Christ, because the way we live, if we live truly after you, Lord Jesus Christ, we are looked as crazy in the eyes of the world, crazy in the eyes of the church today, Lord Jesus Christ. But we have got to go against the grain. We have got to go against everything that we thought we knew to know you, Jesus Christ. We have got to break through the strongholds. We have got to break through the veil. We have got to break through the barrier, Lord Jesus Christ, as it was preached tonight, in order to birth you in our life, Lord God. We have got to have that true relationship with you. We have got to feed in your words, Lord Jesus Christ. We have got to commune with you, fellowship with you, Lord Jesus Christ, in obedience. Get into your word, Lord God. That is the way that we birth you in our lives, Lord Jesus, but are we willing to do that? Are we willing to do that on an hourly basis, on a daily basis, Lord Jesus Christ, to give up the world and to follow after you in all truth and all righteousness, Lord Jesus? I'm praying that this is what we will do, Lord God, that we will be closer to you in our lives, Lord, that when we stand before you on that day, you will say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. This is what we are looking for because everything we think and say as your word says, will be brought into judgment, Lord Jesus. We have got to start taking your word at value, at your value, Lord God, in obedience unto you. So I'm praying as well, Lord God, for Michael Adams' ministry, Lord, for this ministry, for all the other ministries out there as well, Lord Jesus Christ, who are in the fight, in the fire, Lord Jesus Christ, in in this country and in, in the countries where the persecution is real. Touch their lives, Lord Jesus Christ. Bless them abundantly. Give them the strength. Give them the courage to endure. We have got to endure until the end, Lord God, as your word says. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for the message tonight that people will be saved. They will repent of their sins, Lord Jesus Christ, and to know you, to live a life after you, to be healed, to be reconciled. Thank you, Jesus Christ, God Almighty. I pray, Lord God, that we continue to build in our relationship with you, to bear fruit for you, to make disciples for you, Jesus, that you get all the praise, the glory, and honor that you deserve. 
In Jesus Christ, your most holy name, I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord Jesus. Folks, uh, Derek How uh, Derek Hauser, Derek Hallett, <laughs> and Sarah Hauser. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, SoundTheTrumpetMinistries.com and Sound the, the Trumpets uh, Ministry YouTube channel. And uh, oh, uh, if I were you, I would be wise and, and subscribe to that YouTube channel because uh, you'll get three times the number of uh, teachings that you get here from uh, Derek. And uh, this is truly some spirit-led uh, uh, teachings. So if you like this, you like uh, Brother Hallett's teachings, then go over to the uh, Sound of Trumpet Ministries YouTube channel and subscribe. So, And uh, don't forget also to uh, hit the bell to be notified when teachings are posted. It would be a wise move. Anyways, once again, uh, thanks, folks, for... For joining me and sharing your Thursday evening with a fellow brother in Christ, and uh, all praise and glory go to to Him, God, Savior, King, Lord, and everything else that's wonderful. Yes, absolutely, brother.